Brazil Reimagined? A Euradio podcast about Brazil's changing territorial, environmental, and agricultural policies. With the voice of those who are working to reconstruct, reimagine, and redivide. From urban to rural, in the Amazon and beyond. What makes me proud and happy is to see a new seed sprout and to see the forest grow and to know that this was done by my own hands, that it was me who planted them, watered them, took care of them. Another thing that fascinates me is watching the macaws. When they pass like that, man, it's amazing. When I realized that they were almost extinct, there were only two left, and now we can count 35 of them. What a difference. <laughs> what makes me proud is to realize that we are generating water on this planet. We plant in order to generate water, to generate life, to generate oxygen. This makes me proud. What we try to push is to push for one economy towards another model of economy, an economy where we destroy the planet, where we destroy also conditions of life for a certain number of people, towards an economy where we do respect nature and people. In the first extract you just heard, you might still recognize the voices of Tatiana and Lucas, featured in episode 4. The young couple from Guajaramirim, Rondonia, who moved back to the extractivist park where Tatiana grew up to replant and reforest, to produce on a small scale in harmony with nature, and to go back to their ancestral roots. The third voice echoed a completely different context. Marie Toussaint represents the Greens in the European Parliament. In this extract of Euronews, she talked about the adoption of a new law to ensure that products on the EU markets are deforestation-free. Yet, in the seventh episode of Brazil Reimagined, I aim to make a link between the two. Between the voices of those working to reforest, reconstruct and work in harmony with nature in Brazil, and those engaged to influence EU policies that can impact the situation on the ground. While I myself moved back from Brazil to the EU capital, I felt it was the right moment to connect the two. But trying to bridge the different realities is not an easy task. Between the tall grey buildings of Europe's headquarters, Brazil's forests suddenly seemed far away. Yet, not only in the context of this podcast, but also as an EU citizen and consumer, I felt it necessary to make this connection. Knowing that Brazil is the single biggest exporter of agricultural products to the EU worldwide, and the EU is the second largest importer of tropical deforestation in Brazil. If European leaders were so keen to swiftly congratulate Lula with his victory, what I can tell you is that the president uh, tweeted to congratulate the next president of Brazil. Ah, bonjour. Comment ça va, président? Félicitations. Lula, como vai? Felicidades. Parabéns, presidente. Cheering his green ambitions as a chance to reinforce trade relations with the country. What has actually changed in EU-Brazil's relations or agreements after January 1st? 
Are there any recent policies or agreements supporting their words? To answer those questions, I talked to policy experts in Brussels and Brazil. Close to the European institutions, I met Nicole Polsterer, sustainable consumption and production campaigner for Fern. Our projects consist in terms of EU Fern is a Brussels, Paris and London-based organization which analyzes EU policies related to the protection of forests and on the people who depend on them. She talked to me about two relevant actions Fern has recently been working on. The first, you just heard about, is the recently adopted EU regulation on deforestation-free products. A regulation that Fern has already been advocating for, for years. About eight years ago, Fern started to look at what policies could help stop big-scale conversion of forests to agriculture. Agriculture is the major driver of forest loss, so we were looking at a broad spectrum of policies that the EU could undertake. One of them was to regulate supply chains in a similar way of, um, of timber. So the EU had already adopted a regulation that makes it illegal to place timber that was produced illegally in the countries of origin to place it on the EU market. But as agriculture is the major uh, driver, we advocated for an extension of such a type of regulation to, to other commodities and, and products. Finally, the European Parliament adopted the new regulation in April 2023, and it will enter into force in December 2024. The European Union is taking a huge step forwards when it comes to tackling environmental destruction. After the European Parliament voted on Wednesday to ensure that products on the EU market are deforestation-free. Companies will very soon have to prove that what they sell has no link to deforestation from 2021 onwards, both in Europe and throughout the world. The list includes, among other things, palm oil, coffee, soy and wood. The MEP in charge of the new law says the rules are a significant achievement. We are losing every year uh, around 10 million hectares of uh, forests all over the world and this uh, instrument is going to halt that at least our part in the uh, complicity in that deforestation because our shelves are currently filled with uh, chocolate, uh, coffee, etc. soy uh, products uh, that contribute massively uh, to the forest destruction around 10% of this 10 million uh, yearly. Nicole Polsterer explained to me what this new regulation will imply and how it can help to prevent deforestation. This new regulation will require that companies that place certain commodities and, and products on the EU market carry out a process called due diligence. This due diligence consists of uh, three steps. One is to look at where do the commodities or products co come from and really determine their geolocation. Secondly, a risk assessment needs to be carried out to see whether these products come from recently deforested land, so from land deforested after the 31st of December 2020, or whether they have infringed on national law. And thirdly, take mitigation measures, either inquire for more information on these products and their legality or sub support producers and companies within the supply chains to take the 
necessary measures to comply with the regulation. So companies are already preparing for this entry uh, in, into application. It has created quite a, a storm in the producer countries. So there's a lot of uh, preparation needed to, to meet these requirements by the, by the end of next year. What Fern ha uh, has done uh, while campaigning for this regulation was really looking at details of the regulation in terms of uh, what should they look like and how especially can you protect the, the, the rights of people. So it, it was central, in our view it was central that this regulation does not only look at deforestation but also look at the rights element. That ideally they protect human rights under international law such as free prior and informed consent. She also clarified what the regulation means for producers in Brazil. We hope and, and see that the requirements for the products to be deforestation free puts pressure and drives forward the, the question that has already happened in Brazil to eliminate deforestation, especially illegal deforestation. It puts the timeline a bit closer. So. Brazil has a commitment to eliminate illegal deforestation by 2030. Now, illegal and legal deforestation in the products traded to the EU are not acceptable retroactively from December 2020. So this, this creates an impetus to speed up the implementation, I would say, of national laws. It uh, reignites a discussion around traceability of products to source, which is a big topic or has already been a big topic in the, um, in the beef product sector. And according to this regulation, the company that places the product on the market needs to be sure that there was no deforestation in all plots of land that are within its supply chain. So you have to know wh where the cow was born and uh, which plots it, it went through and ensure that there was no deforestation on either of them. So this new regulation can have an important impact on deforestation around the world, including in Brazil. From December 2024 onwards, everything we as consumers buy on the EU market should be deforestation free. The beef we eat, the coffee we drink. However, the new regulation also raised some critique on the other side of the Atlantic. Amongst others, because the regulation will mostly hit small producers, because it's precisely the small producers from whom the new requirements to check all the products will be a financial burden. According to critics in Brazil, the regulation should have been built more collectively with the countries most affected. In her interview, Nicole also pointed to the fact that a wider range of civil society organizations should be included in earlier stages in the negotiations. In negotiations, it would be good if uh, those ne negotiating open, clear and transparent ways on, on how to input. On the EU side in this regulation, I think they could have been more proactive in reaching out to uh, civil society, including smallholders. It's um, when, when organizations that represent smallholders make their opinions known, it's not always clear whether they're representative. So I think impact assessments should figure out 
early on if there's a legal project, if there's a, a regulation draft or an impact as, um, assessment should be carried out early on to see who w would be the people affected, identify them and then also give them a voice to, to feed back once the law project has been well explained. So it needs a lot more diplomatic efforts that can trickle down the supply chain, uh, mm -hmm. so to say, and to, to, to rights holders rather than for it to come as an afterthought and then ex mm -hmm. explain wh what is the likely mm -hmm. impact. So that would have to be figured in much earlier in the, in the process. Including various civil society actors in non-EU countries in earlier stages of the negotiations is something Fern is strongly advocating for. But perhaps the biggest point of criticism of Brazilian environmentalists is that the legislation only covers the area of the country that are already under protection, including around 84% of the Amazon rainforest. Other important biomes, such as the Cerrado, also referred to as the Brazilian savanna, are mostly excluded. Pouco conhecido internacionalmente, o Cerrado brasileiro é a savana com maior biodiversidade do planeta. Chamado de caixa d'água do Brasil por abrigar nascentes de importantes rios da América Latina, é considerado Even if, as an extremely important source of fresh water, the protection of the Cerrado is actually also crucial for the protection of the Amazon rainforest. This discrepancy is what experts call a deforestation leakage, a critique which is also often raised in ongoing EU-Mercosur negotiations, something I'll come back to in a minute. But before my interview about this agreement, I assist in an event organized by the Brussels-based civil society organization Espiritu Mundo, led by Aline Yasmin. The aim of the event was to discuss the situation related to the rights of indigenous people in Brazil. And main speaker was leader Gate Nascimento. Casica Gate came all the way from Porto Alegre in the south of Brazil to talk about the actual impact of deforestation and conflict on her own land. She clearly pointed out why coming to Europe was so important to her. My people's land used to be immense, but the invaders are clearing out all our forests. And our leaders, especially the women leaders, they are always demanding justice. But sometimes even they can't because it's just too hard. Now I am here in Europe to ask the people here for help, to protect our lands, but as well to stop poisoning our lands. Why are they using the poison from here to pollute our lands, to pollute our waters that we need to drink to survive? I'm here to ask you for your support, to support 
my people. I don't want my people to be treated differently anymore, like other people in my country. Yes, Kasika Gate came to ask for support, but also to denounce the use of poison from the European Union on our lands. Perhaps the use of poison from the EU on indigenous lands in Brazil sounds rather strange to you. But the export of pesticides, what the Kasika referred to as poison, banned as illegal in the EU, two third countries including Brazil, is actually an important issue many NGOs and civil society organizations denounce. It is also one of the critiques against the introduction of the EU-Mercosur trade deal. To come back to this deal again. According to the Henrich Bull Stiftung, export of chemicals from the EU to Mercosur countries is worth 6.3 billion euros per year. And when introduced, the EU-Mercosur agreement could reduce or eliminate over 90% of existing tariffs on chemicals. By no surprise, the European chemical industry has been strongly supporting the ratification of the deal, believing it could allow for a steady growth in the chemical exports to Mercosur countries. But besides the chemicals, what is the EU-Mercosur trade agreement and what would it imply? The EU-Mercosur agreement might already sound familiar to you, because actually, negotiations about it have been going on for over two decades. Free trade deals can take years, sometimes decades, and the EU-Mercosur deal, well, it is no exception. For a long time, the negotiations were set on hold, but this year, things changed again. I think a deal would have not been possible with the former president, Bolsonaro. Now he has gone and there's a new government, it will be easier, but nevertheless, the majority of the members of the European Parliament has made clear that they want binding and enforceable sustainability criteria. They want the deal not to contribute to deforestation and they want some guarantees. So with Lula in power, European countries were in favor to reinitiate the negotiations. However, under the conditions that an increase in trade between the EU and Mercosur countries would not lead to environmental harm. To discuss how the agreement is perceived by NGOs and environmental policy experts on the other side of the Atlantic, I talked to Professor Patricia Pino. Patricia Pino is the Deputy Science Director of IPAM, the Amazonian Environmental Research Institute in Brazil. During our interview, she told me about IPAM's objections to the agreement. As, as you highlighted, this is an agreement, and a trade agreement that has been negotiated for over 20 years. The climate back then was a completely different than the climate uh, that we're living on now. So while we need like really strong actions to decarbonize economy, like a trade that doesn't address that with like strong commitments of um, not only within their economy, but also the transboundary impact that those trade relationships uh, will have on overall climate uh, needs to be really treated in the right place, right? And and another critique is the rights and, and 
and benefits of or at least uh, avoiding negative impacts on indigenous people, indigenous territories, on associated with the likelihood that land expansion will happen to grow more commodities, that is the mainly uh, trade uh, uh, aspect that Mercosur countries are delivering to you, EU. According to Patricia, it's clear that it is currently more in the interest of EU countries to push the agreement through. definitely pushed by the European uh, countries, which in fact has been problematic from the Mercosur countries because it's not a fair trade. It's um, it's perceived mostly as like, you know, an imperialistic uh, view of some of the strategies and barriers that are associated with trade itself. Um, it also doesn't really explicit how it helps the the people in those countries to fulfill this economic development that is envisioned in also in the trade opening like frontiers and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. so and then we need also to understand that that of course european countries will push uh, this agreement and and wants to that to be signed because it's under a post-COVID economic crisis. And then we had the Ukraine war, and now we have also another important war happening in the Middle East that all those dynamics really affect and food production and especially the potential disturbancing on the markets. So across the Atlantic, the deal is mostly perceived as unequal or imperialistic. And when the EU decided this year to tighten the conditions for commodities for Mercosur countries entering the EU market to fulfill environmental conditions, Lula accused the EU again of protectionism and unequal treatment. Brazil's president, Lula da Silva, is warning against European protectionism. He says that the ratification of the EU-Mercosur trade agreement should happen by the end of the year. But he wants an equal partnership between the two sides. He was speaking in Brussels on Wednesday following a summit between the EU and Latin America, where he made it clear that both sides have the right to protectionism, even if it isn't the best way forward. A letter from the EU side was sent to Mercosur countries back in February with demands on the environmental preservation of the Amazon rainforest. It's another obstacle to the signing off of the trade agreement with the bloc, which is made up of Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay and Uruguay. The EU is using double standards, argued President Lula. Protecting their own farmers' regional products while requiring small farmers in Brazil to meet the strict technical requirements in light of environmental protection. And applying sanctions related to deforestation in Brazil instead of doing their own homework to make the transition to a low-carbon economy. According to Patricia Pinho, the EU-Mercosur agreement could have the potential to have a positive effect on sustainable production without doing any further harm to the environment in both EU and Mercosur countries, but with a vast number of ifs. 
I think it definitely needs to be a, a more equalized bilateral collaboration, both in terms of the finance and technical expertise across the economic blocks. But if the agreement is ratified and is signed, and, and I think it seems it's addressing this over this past few months, but uh, nobody has seen it, uh, the text. There is some leakage, but we haven't definitely seen the whole like agreement, but it needs to leave it really clear and structured how the, the forum of uh, uh, social participation and what are the criterias for the decision and interference that needs to be advanced in order to make sure this agreement is equal in all the voices, especially, as I mentioned, indigenous communities and traditional population are heard in this process. So far, there's no transparency on that. The externalities that are associated with this trade, both on the environment and climatic, needs to be clear how it's going to be evaluated, mitigated, and especially how it's going to be impacting as we see the climate extreme events that we are underseeing. It also would be another suggestion to create like a committee of specialists if the scope of measure and follow up the agreement implementation and also the, the efficient itself especially on regarding reduction of emission and also practice that are dealing with adaptation and climate crisis with just a month left before the end of the year it is still not clear yet whether the EU and Mercosur leaders will eventually stick to their objective to ratify the deal in 2023. What's also not clear is to what extent Brazil's and Argentina's demands for a more equal deal are being met. As Patricia Pinho underlined, external experts have not yet seen the new agreement, except from a few leaked documents. So for now, many questions remain. Will the agreement be ratified? To what extent has the agreement changed the past month? Has it indeed become more equal? Does it include more about sustainable production, about the guaranteeing of the protection of Mercosur's biomes and not just the Amazon? And how about the protection of indigenous rights? Perhaps not any major changes can be expected within an agreement that was designed decades ago. Meanwhile, Kasike Gate keeps on asking leaders in Brussels and beyond to support her people, to protect their land. Just as many other indigenous people and environmental organizations from Mercosur countries. Então, conscientizar as pessoas sobre tudo que vem nos afetando e
you for listening to the seventh and foremost episode of Brazil Reimagined, a podcast produced for EU Radio. Interviews for this podcast were recorded in Brussels and online in October and November 2023. Kasiki Gate's intervention was recorded at an event organized by Espiritu Mundo in Brussels. Dubbing of the Kasika's voice was done by Anidil. Music included from the beginning to the end was Un Sonho by Nassau Zumbi and Amor 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 by Mestre Luis Pachão and Renata Rosa. A list of media extracts is included in the description of this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank <laughs> you.